welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Here is, without doubt, the best advice I can give you on how to die well, live well. Have you ever asked yourself, how do I want to be remembered when I die? What legacy do I want to leave? We can have all great intentions and climb very shiny ladders in an effort to achieve great stuff in life, but what happens if we've put that ladder up against the wrong wall? Mm. Tonight, Dr. Corbett looks at living well. His message, when all is said and done, was more said than done, the art of finishing life's race well. Last Sunday, I, I asked you to contact your local MP, state MP. The media were reporting that the so-called voluntary euthanasia bill was a fait accompli, that it would go through. They were touting that there were a number of, um, enough members on both sides of the house to pass it. And we had on our Facebook page the link to be able to contact local members of parliament. And you did. And the result was overwhelming, 16 votes to eight against passing this legislation. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, I, I don't want to be misunderstood here. I, I don't want people to think that we're trying to be some, you know, political lobby group or anything. We're, we're actually concerned about our culture because the message that life is disposable is a bad message. You don't even have to be a Christian to, to realise that. The fact that many Christians are reluctant to get involved and actually come out and say that is disgraceful. Hallelujah. It is. It's just, it's, it, it, if we, we hark back to the time when a young 26-year-old man, and I'm going to talk about in a moment... The, the people who've made significant contributions in life, whose lives have been incredibly short. <laughs> and Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, was 26 when he went on Deutsche Welle Radio and spoke against the, 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 the plan of Adolf Hitler at 26 years of age. He did that, I think, in 1936 or 7. Might have even actually been earlier than that. And he, he was a Lutheran pastor and he, he appealed to his Lutheran ministerial colleagues, help me here with this. And you know what? None of them did. They said, we're not getting into politics. But he's going to kill people. That's political. We're not into politics. It's not political. <laughs> it's life. <laughs> it's people's lives. Often I will explain to you why I use certain graphics in my slides and let me explain this one to you as we, we look at this topic. And, and I think, it's not irony, but, but if this was my last message to you today, and, and I trust that it, that it won't be, but if it was, this would be a fine way to finish my preaching career. I haven't finished Jeremiah yet, that's right. <laughs> I can't finish, as, a, as, as my wife has, been, has just reminded me. But we, we often talk about death as riding off into the sunset. And this is a picture of a sunset. So if you're wondering, why do I pick 
the backgrounds that I picked, there are often, often I don't explain them, but, but if you look at it, the, the, there is some sim- symbolism in, in the art as well. I mentioned Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He died uh, at the hand of um, the, the SS. He was, I believe he was 39 years of age when he died. His books are considered to be some of the most profound Christian literature ever written. And if you've ever tried to read one, you'll discover you can't skim anything that Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote. There have been a number of significant people whose lives have impacted the world in very, very dramatic ways. This, this lady is, I think, one of the greatest, apart from my own wife, one of the greatest ladies who has ever lived. I doubt that anyone could instantly recognise her. I'll be very impressed if you could. I'll tell you a little bit about her in a moment. I, I, I want to remind you that, that none of us have our tomorrows guaranteed. And, and, and this week we've been reminded of how fragile life is. 20,000 people go to an um, Ariana, and I can say that now because all the children are gone because they'll correct me and say, you're not pronouncing it right. Ariana Grande, um, sounds like a coffee, but anyway, Ariana Grande concert in Manchester and dozens of them didn't come home. And who would have thought that? You shouldn't have to even entertain the idea that that would ever be a possibility. We think in history, people like and, and, and Donna and some of the other uh, people like Amanda would know of these names, Anne Bronte, she was a novelist who is still considered one of the greatest English novelists. And, and, and her entire work was completed by the age of 29 when she died. Her sister, Emily Bronte, died at the age of 30 and she wrote, among other things, Wuthering Heights. And she died at 30. England's greatest, considered England's greatest poet, John Keats, died at the age of 25. I think of one of the greatest philosophical scientific minds that's ever walked the planet, Blaise Pascal, died at the age of, I think, again, 39. And these people left a a significant contribution. And and I say this not to, to say to you, come on, get on with your game, not at all, but just to say, I don't know that any of these people expected that that's when their life would end. And this, this particular lady, let me tell you a little bit about her. Her life did not start well. Because at the age of two, she contracted an illness. Her life, I'll tell you now, it ended very well. Very, very well. But let me tell you what happened to her at the age of two. And this will probably be a clue if you're trying to figure out who it is. The age of two, through the illness that she contracted, she became deaf, blind and mute. She was the daughter of a, of a, a military, uh, I think he was a colonel or a general. Um, and her, her life was, was, on this foundation, was set up to be utterly miserable But this is what she said halfway through her life or toward the end of her life. 
she said this, amazingly. Imagine this, can't see, can't hear and you can't speak. She said this, life is either a great adventure or nothing. Very early on, someone reached out to her. Her name was Annie Sullivan, who reached out to Helen Keller. And through incredible patience, Annie Sullivan, who deserves an entire tribute herself, who was going blind, therefore living in both worlds of the sight and the, and the sightless, was able to communicate with Helen through touch. And Helen went on to become one of the first women to complete a degree Imagine that. So next time you're complaining about how hard it is to study, try doing it when you're blind and deaf. She be, she's now recognised as... Uh, well, she started a, a movement called the ACLU, which is um, a civil liberties uh, organisation in America. and Just, just incredible what, what she ended up achieving... Now, unlike some of the other people that I've just mentioned, Helen Keller did not have a, a short life. She actually ended up having a long, fruitful life, which is amazing. Uh, she died in 1968, um, having been born in 1880. It's incredible. She died at the age of 87, just a few days short of her 88th birthday. When someone with these, shall we say, handicaps has something to say about life, probably worth listening to, and she went on and she, she said this, the best and most beautiful things in the world cannot be seen or even touched. They must be felt with the heart. And we think of things like time with someone, or we, and, we, and we think of how Annie Sullivan spent years of her life which many may have thought was a waste of time, but she gave her life to help Helen to be able to communicate with the world. And that's love. And you can't see it, touch it, you can only feel it with your heart. Helen Keller also said this. Um, so we'll just go back. Well, Although, I haven't got on the screen, although the world is full of suffering, she said, it is also full of the overcoming of it. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? I just think that's incredible. So the next time I'm feeling a bit grumpy and everything's going wrong and I've got something to complain about, I'll just think of Helen Keller. Deaf, blind, mute. <sighs> and she lived a long, full, happy life. Very early on in her life, she received Christ as her Lord and Saviour. This message, as you've seen in the news, is called When All is Said and Done Was More Said Than Done. I don't want to be a gunner. Do you know any gunners? Hmm. They're going to do this, they're going to do that. When I was growing up, Someone gave my, and I'm not sure if it was meant in jest or if it was meant to be a statement, but they gave my dad a round wall plaque. You, you hang on the wall, it had a string, you hang on it. And it was called a tuit. 
because apparently my dad was always one day going to get round to it. <laughs> and I guess that's what they used to call gunners. <laughs> and my dad's not here, and, and, and he, he maybe not listening, although they, they do occasionally watch the webcast. But if my dad does turn up, please do not repeat what I'm about to say. <laughs> I grew up watching my dad start a lot of things but not finish many things. And as I've said to you, there are, there are things that happened in my childhood that actually ended up shaping how I see life should be done. And one of those things is, is making sure you finish things. And so sometimes I've embarked on really difficult things and wanted to quit. And I remember some of the, the core things that I've said I would never do, and one of them is be a quitter. And I, I hope that by the time my life ministry here is done, which for me is, is a sort of moulds into one statement, that I've inspired young men to become pastors. That I've inspired young men and young women to go into Christian ministry because we in Australia are seeing churches decline, churches close, and yet our population increase. And it's my hope that out of this church... We can send church planters, pastors. We've already started, haven't we? Sean and Annette up in Kapalabar in Brisbane and doing great. The church is, has uh, grown phenomenally. I think they've had a 50% increase in attendance since Sean's been there. Just wonderful. And, and I, I hope we can do that more and more. There are actually churches across this nation, and I can think of a dozen off the top of my head, that cannot find a pastor. Only one in seven pastors in this nation who are senior pastors are under the age of 40. So if you're under the age of 40 and you're wondering what your life is going to amount to, consider this. God may be calling you to be a pastor because there are, you know, we talk about unemployment rates. There is a, there is a dire need for pastors. I just digress. That was not in my notes. But when all is said and done, was more said than done. And here's my pastoral concern for you. And I said, if this was my final message, it's probably not a bad one to finish with. My concern for you is that you finish life's race well. I remember as a, uh, I, I started, I was a credential pastor from the age of 25. And I, I pastored my, my first church as a senior pastor in my late 20s. I was a, a youth pastor starting out, then I became an assistant pastor, then a senior pastor. And, and one of the first things you're confronted with as a senior pastor that you're not confronted with as an assistant pastor, as a youth pastor or just as an assistant associate pastor, is doing funerals. Because normally that, that's the role of the senior pastor. He normally takes the, the funerals and is normally involved in walking with people through the, the final moment. So when I became a senior pastor, within, I must have been must have been months of being a senior pastor. I was confronted with a family that came into our church, young family. They had, they had recently come to the Lord. They had one child, and she was very, very pregnant. And so they were excited about uh, the birth of their second child, and, they, and, and I got the phone call on the day of the birth of their child that he was born with... Um, uh, hydrocephalus and he survived 10 minutes uh, 
after birth. And so my very first funeral, don't worry about it as a senior pastor, my very first funeral was for a, a 10-minute-old baby. The coffin was no bigger than a shoebox. And, and, you can, and, and, and I'll just say that, that from that point, and I was, I, was um, I think, 28, 29 at the time, it, it, it's a shock because you're not, we in Australia are not, we don't deal with death. You know, death is not, we, we hide it, we, we put it away, we don't deal with it at all. And when it happens, I've seen people have absolute meltdowns because we, we are in a culture where we don't see much death. I mean, you go into McDonald's and it's just, it's a hamburger, right? <laughs> Ever thought what it used to be? We never see that. And by the way, thank God. I'm, I, you know, but that, this, is, this is how sanitised our culture has become. In some cultures, for example, India, they'll have the dead in the, on, on a table in the lounge room where they'll wash their hair, they'll be there, and people come for, for days just to, to, to groom, and, and then, then they'll, they'll bury or cremate that person, and then for days afterwards, people will wail and, and mourn. And, and, and in Australia, we don't do anything like that. So we're, we're so unaccustomed to death. So I'm saying this, that, that from that point on, I had to get a grip on, on end-of-life stuff. Now, of course, there, we've got many doctors here. And doctors, I'm, you know this too. You, you, you're dealing with people who are dying. Right now, I'm, I'm helping two people die. And... We're going, and, I, and I've said that to them. I, I want to help you die well. And, and this morning, I want to speak about helping you to die well. How to finish life's race well. And I, over the years, have walked with people that, that were dying. They would have operations that were hoped to do something, and, and, and maybe they didn't. And, and so you're then having to... Uh, I remember coming into... Uh, a hospice care ward where there was a man who was not old, especially from th this perspective now, I realise, really not old. He was only about 60. And he, he was dying. I mean, palliative care, hospice, there's clues. And everyone, all of his family were saying, you know, buck up, cheer up, you'll be fine, you'll pull through this. And I remember coming in and... The conversation went something like this. I'm dying, aren't I? I said, yes, you are. You don't have long. And to see the relief that uh, someone was prepared to be honest. And, and he began to talk about the things that he was going to miss. And it was the first time he could talk openly about the fact he was going to die. And guess what? Every one of us in this room is dying. We're all dying. The question isn't whether you'll die. The question is how long have you got? And I actually can't answer that. I read an essay, as I try to regularly read essays, if not every day, every other day, of FF. Uh, F.W. Borum, and, and he, he tells the story of surprise. Uh, the essay is about surprise. And, and the surprise was that he went around to visit a, a doctor, and the doctor had just received a phone call 
that one of his patients had died of a heart attack. And the doctor came in and he was stunned. He said, I was only with him last week. I was only with him last week. His heart was fine. And he's telling his wife this. And he said, I I, I can't believe he died of a heart attack. He had cancer. He was going to die of cancer. And I didn't have the heart to tell him. I didn't expect that he was going to die of a heart attack. Surprise. And it caught me off guard when I read that. And so I, I say this because I've been a pastor long enough to know that you're dealing with people who could die at any moment. And I'll tell you now, that changes your perspective on how you preach, how you see people, how you see life. And at the moment, my, with, with half of the people in this room under the age of 30, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Because you're eternal. You're going to live forever. Death is something other people do. <laughs> and I, I could tell you about... I could tell you some of the stories of, of people that I've walked through with and, and then the people I did not get the opportunity to walk through with because they were road accident victims or victims of crime or something like that where you don't get that opportunity. So here's my plea to you. I want to help you die well whenever that is. And, it's, and, and, and my, my challenge is that by the time we're done, can you put your head on your pillow tonight and say, Jesus, I'm ready. So let's see how we can get there. Before you reach the end of your life, could you answer these following questions? You ever thought about these questions? What kind of person do you want to be at the end of your life? Kim ribs me, ridicules me, mocks me, shows absolutely no respect, even though she vowed on our wedding day to do that. (laughs) When we discuss this question and she says, what kind of person do you want to be at the end of your life? And I say, I want to be a sweet, old, caring man. She goes, well, you've got a lot of ground to make up, fella. (laughs) That's the first question. How would you answer that? I'm still going with sweet caring. Sweet. Sweet. (laughs) Just work on one at a time, you reckon? What do you want to have achieved by the end of your life? Not a bad question. I know that there are people that think almost flippantly about end of life and they call it a bucket list. You know, I've got my bucket list. I want to see this, see that, see that. Well, what if you tick everything off on that bucket list? Then what? What do you actually want to achieve with your life? Here's the next question. What kind of legacy do you want to leave behind at the end of your life? What are you going to leave behind? And here's the next question. What one word would you like those who know you best to use to describe you by the end of your life? Hmm. Here is, without doubt, the best advice I can give you on how to die well. Live well. 
And I'll tell you why. It's, it might seem like I'm just trying to use a cliche, although I've not many, heard many people actually say this, but this is my conviction, having been with people who are dying, being in hospice care and palliative care and hospitals and even in people's homes and being called to people while they had a moment of lucidity to say goodbye to them. And I know I'm not the only one. Others have had that as well. But as a pastor, you, you probably get a little bit more than most of that opportunity. I've seen too many people get to the end of their life and they are gripped by fear and doubt. And when I began to see this in my early 30s, I was shocked. But as I increasingly saw it, I realised a couple of things. One, we are all people, all of us are people who need reassurance. We need reassurance. And reassurance comes in the form of reminding. Because while, while we all complain about how we forget things, the problem is we forget the wrong things at the wrong time. If you are to, to die well, you've got to live well. And, and, and that, if you can get where we're going to finish up with this message and, and get nothing else, I am convinced that you will die much better than you're prepared to die right now. And this, you know, I know it almost sounds like total theory, total... Oh, gee, you know, this is just a clinical, abstract thing. It's got nothing. Maybe in, maybe in 50 years when, when this is relevant to me. But, you know, there was a busload of 29 Coptic, which means Egyptian, Christians who went off on a church trip two days ago. None of them made it. They were all butchered by, I'm not sure if it was an improvised explosive device or whatever it was. And they died. Now, I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm not trying to say this could happen in Australia. Oh, this could happen here. I'm not at all. You just don't know. So here's where I want to appeal to you. Sometimes it's not until we almost lose it, that is life, we suddenly realise just how precious our lives are and what matters most. So I want you to be ready. I know that there are some Christians who promote this rapture-ready thing. I just want you to be God-ready. I want you to be ready to meet God at any moment. I hope you have a lot more moments, but the scripture says this, All flesh is like grass, and its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers. And the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So what God's word says about life and death will last forever. But we won't. Sometimes you get to the end of your life and realise that you've actually set your ladder up, beautiful ladder, you've climbed it really, really well, but you've put it up against the wrong wall. In other words, you've built your life on the wrong things. 
One of the saddest characters in Scripture for me is Solomon and the debate among theologians is, did he repent before the end of his life? The fact that we even have to have this debate tells you it's a sad, sad life. Solomon, King Solomon, the greatest king of Israel, got to the end of his life and despite his great achievements, having an annual income of some, in today's money, $30 million a year and despite all his achievements which he lists in Ecclesiastes and all the experiences he had including conquering uh, over 800 women sexually. We read in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 that he had some deep and big regrets. He says in the second last verse of the last chapter of Ecclesiastes, having described what it, what it is like to get old, where... He says in in verse 1, Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you say, I have no pleasure in them. Verse 2, Before the sun and light and the moon and the stars are dark. In other words, your eyesight goes and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble at your knees and the strong men are bent at your back and the grinders cease at your teeth because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dim. That's again your, your eyesight. And the doors, verse 4, of the street are shut when the ears sa- and the sound of the grinding is low. And one rises up at the sound of a bird and all, so, gripped with fear. And all the daughters of song are brought low. There's nothing that can cheer you up. And verse 5, and they are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Verse 6, the silver cord is snapped, the golden bowl, in other words, he's incontinent. The the golden bowl is broken, the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. That's a poetic way of saying he's lost bladder control. It's a... A shocking picture of a man who was one, at one point the most powerful man on the planet in his day. Verse 7, he says, Dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, verse 12, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end and much study is a weariness of the flesh. And here's verse 13 which is on the screen. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God. Keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. And my goodness me, his life did not reflect that verse. And so in the, in the weeks before he died, he realises what a fool he has been. He says in the closing verse, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Jesus Christ gave the choice of life like this. You either build your life on sand, selfish pursuits or on the rock which is him and his teaching he said in Matthew 7 26 everyone who hears these words of mine and does not 
do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Imagine if you experienced every pleasure, you tasted of every tantalising experience, you achieved every form of greatness, you were loved and adored by millions and billions of people, and yet your soul was empty and bankrupt because you'd built the entire thing on sand, you'd put your ladder on the wrong wall, you'd die and you realise the eternal consequences of that decision. What a fool you have been. Verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. I want to introduce you now to a man who is one of the best bass players in the world. His name is Mark Kelly. Mark Kelly is the son of a pastor and he wanted to serve God. And so unsure of how to do that, he did what many young men do. He, he's from Texas. He went to the Assemblies of God uh, Bible College, I believe in Springfield, Missouri. And he was, he was thinking that ultimately to serve God meant that he would have to become a pastor. And Mark is not a great speaker. He's not a great preacher, even though his dad was. And he, but he felt this is how he was to serve God. And so Mark actually met up with three other guys who about his age and um, one was Greg, one was uh, Bob, um, the other one was uh, John. And they, they, they realised they're all musicians. They, they got together and just started playing and they actually clicked. They're, they're pretty good, actually. And so they... they, they hello, Dollar <laughs> They They wrote a song. Or in fact, uh, Bob uh, Hartman wrote, wrote the song... And they would perform this song as they began touring. They, they were a band for uh, 13 years in that configuration and then another 20 with another, uh, a couple of different band members. And this, this song they, they performed, Mark Kelly says, something like every night of the week, almost without exception, for 52 weeks straight. And it, was, it, it had become routine. And it's called Grave Robber. There's a step that we all take alone, an appointment we have with the great unknown. Like a vapour, this life is just waiting to pass, like the flowers that fade, like the withering grass. But life seems so long and so complete and the grave and impossible potion to cheat. There's one who has been there and still lives to tell. There is one who has been through both heaven and hell. And the grave will come up empty-handed that day. Jesus will come and steal us away. And what's not on the screen is the chorus. Where is the sting? Tell me, where is the bite? When the grave robber comes like a thief in the night. Where is the victory? Where is the prize? When the grave robber comes and death finally dies. And having just done that song at a concert, he received a phone call, come urgently, your, your mother is dying. He, he left the concert, he went to the airport, jumped on a plane, went across country, just got the plane, just in time, got there, just as his mother had died. He was there for the funeral. He then had to get on a plane and get straight back to the other side of the country for the next concert performance and he comes onto the stage and they do this song and he says it gripped him he began to weep many still mourn many still weep for those that the love 
that they love who have fallen asleep. But we have this hope, though our hearts may still ache. Just one shout from above and they all will awake. And in the reunion of joy we will see, death will be swallowed in sweet victory. When the last enemy is done, from the dust will come a song. Those asleep will be awakened, not a one will be forsaken. He shall wipe away our tears, he will steal away our fears. There will be no sad tomorrow, there will be no pain, no sorrow. And I heard Mark Kelly and uh, his fellow band members of the, of the greatest Christian rock band that's ever walked the planet, uh, Petra, um, <laughs> do this song at their 25-year reunion. And uh, by the way, we, I, I heard Mark Kelly um, on my first official date with Kim. I, w- our first official date was to go to a Petra concert at Festival Hall. Yeah, romantic. And they are, they are a, um, a rock and roll band. And this was quite controversial in its day. But when they had the 25-year reunion, two weeks before Mark's pastor father died at the age of 90. And on stage he shared the lyrics of this song and he shared how Two weeks ago, he sang this at his father's funeral. And it's a great consolation for a life lived well. He was reminded, my dad lived well. My dad lived well. Therefore, death has no sting. It has no sting. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we believers, we do not grieve like the world grieves because we have hope. We have hope. So Jesus Christ has revealed that death is not the end and the grave is not our destiny. In, I mentioned 1 Thessalonians, uh, going down another verse, it says this, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Notice how it talks of death now for the believer? It's sleep. It's just sleep. Jesus Christ... In, in what he has taught, has revealed how we can live life well, how we can live in a way that our lives can be made richer, sweeter and more fragrant. And, he, and I guess the first principle to living life well is this. If, I've, if I'm to give you two takeaways, this is it. Number one, Jesus said, put God first in your life. Not yourself, God And it begins with a very simple prayer. And I know that there are people who are reluctant to become church-going Christians. They would consider themselves Christians, but they don't want to, not institutional religion, not into that at all. Which is a bit of a shame because if you go to a good church, you'll walk out with the, the roadmap of life being so much more clearer as to where the landmines are in life. And that's what church each Sunday can do for you. And so Jesus said this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That, that guy that we just saw interviewed before, his name's Luke. He's a Brisbane boy. He, he got a little slight American twang now because he and his, his best buddy moved to the States and they were struggling musicians. And then suddenly um, uh, Jimmy Kimmel 
uh, discovered them. Jimmy Kimmel's a secular TV guy in the States. And he brought them onto his TV show. And next thing, they just went through the roof. This is for king and country. And Luke says that brush with death, which he's now in remission from his cancer, it said it just completely changed his perspective on life. He realised that he'd been living to be famous, living to be rich, living to be popular, living for all the things that people live for. And he realised that none of these things were of any significance. He wrote a song, hit rewind, click delete, stand face to face with the younger me, all the mistakes. In other words, I wish I could go back and talk to the younger me and slap me about and say, listen, fella, (laughs) all of the heartache, here's what I'd do differently. I'd love like I'm not scared. Give when it's not fair. Take time for a brother. Fight for the weak ones. Speak out for freedom. Find faith in the battle. Don't quit. Hang in there. Stand tall. But above all, I would fix my eyes on you, Jesus. Fix my eyes on you. I learned the lines and talked the talk. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. But the road less travelled is hard to walk. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows it takes a soldier who knows his orders to walk the walk I'm supposed to walk and love like I'm not scared, give when it's not fair, live life for another, take time for a brother, fight for the weak one, speak out for freedom, find faith in the battle, stand tall, but above it all, fix my eyes on you, on you. And that's what I hope we do. This is how to die well. The Apostle Paul could say this as we bring it to a close. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which is which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to also, but also to all who have loved His appearing. And here's closing thoughts, and my appeal to you is: Please die well by living well. The one who knows you best, loves you most and wants the best for you. And this is what I would say to someone who says, yeah, okay, I'm into God, I'll pray to God. And, and quite, a, quite possibly, according to the statistics, 70-something percent of Australians pray every day. Amazing. Only 6% go to a church. That tells me that people are really open to God. But here's the difference. There's, a, a, there's something in... There's a big difference between talking to him and there's a big difference to surrendering to him. And this is, I guess, the thought I want you to hear. Dying well does not commence on your deathbed. It starts now. And it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In other words, if you're a believer, the day you die is the day you give your life to Christ because we die daily. We die daily. So here's the questions. Are you living a life of self-indulgent pleasure as your seek first roadmap of life? If you are, you're building a life on sand. We as a church are not yet who we will be. I, found, I over the years, I just let you know. So over the years, I, I, I'll sometimes come down here on a Saturday, as I, I did 
last night and I'll, I'll just walk around and pray and ask God to fill this house and touch people. And, and I was doing that last night. And, and now I'm starting to do it out there. That God will fill that place. But in order for us to be all that we can be in God, we need people who are living well and dying well. Surrender to God. And have you ever prayed this prayer? God, have your way in my life. And I know why you haven't if you haven't, because you don't know that he really does love you and want the best for your life. But if you can see that he does, then I encourage you, start to die well right now by saying, God, have your way in my life. We've talked, we've talked over the years, but I don't know that I've ever come to that point where God, I've said, I now trust you. I'm prepared to take that step out of my comfort zone where it's about me and step into that zone of the unknown where I surrender to you. Have your way in my life. Are you prepared to pray that prayer? Would you please stand with me? We're going to worship God to finish. But here's the very first act of worship that anyone can ever do. And can I just tell you, quite frankly, I don't care if you've been in church all your life. I don't care if you've been baptised before a congregation of people. I don't care if you've signed a decision card. I don't care if you tell people you're a Christian. If your life is self-indulgent and Christ is not Lord of your life and He's not first in your life, that fruit tells me otherwise. It tells me that you don't really know Him. Today, I'm asking you as if this was the last sermon you'd ever hear me preach or the last sermon I'd ever give. Please, surrender your life to Christ and can I tell you Christian you can be following Christ for decade after decade after decade heartache disappointment offence set in and you just retreat it's time for you to lay it down and come back and surrender to God present your body as a living sacrifice and sacrifices generally do not crawl off the altar they stay there So, Father, I pray for everyone here right now. Come on, let's do business with God. Father, for everyone here now, that we will all live for Christ as Lord of our life, that you'll have your way in us. And perhaps you've never prayed a prayer of commitment. Can I encourage you to pray a prayer something like this? Jesus, I come to you now and I ask you to forgive me. I've done stuff and I need your forgiveness. I thank you that you bore my sin, my guilt, my penalty and punishment on the cross. And now, Lord, I thank you that you offer me forgiveness. I receive it. Help me now to live for you. Amen. And Father, for us as followers of Christ, I pray that we would have a heart that loves, a heart that cares, a heart that reaches out. So that, Lord, at the end of the day, we know that your love has flowed through us and we can put our head on our pillow at the end of the day knowing it could be our last time and we could die well ready to meet you in Jesus name and everyone said let's worship Jesus shall we thanks so dying well doesn't commence on your deathbed to die well means to have lived well which wall is your ladder leaning against are you living well will you finish life's race well podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Finishing Life's Race Well, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media. 
PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.